our subject for discussion is sanctification. Now, there are many contrasting perspectives to this. And for example, the Roman Catholic Church's view of sanctification is largely that sanctification is a process of improvement which enables God to justify us. However, that runs contrary to Paul's statement in Romans chapter 4 and in verse 5, when he says, And to the one who does not work but believes in him who is justified, the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And so God does not wait for a process of improvement to take place in us and to reach a certain stage before he justifies us. That is unbiblical to suggest that we should be or we should receive or we should wait until we get a little better, that then we should turn to the Lord because the statement in Romans chapter 4 verse 5 notes it is that God who justifies the ungodly, he does not justify the godly, he justifies the ungodly. And in fact, Jesus Christ speaking along the same lines in Luke chapter 5, verse 32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So that his ministry is not directed to those who thought that they had no need of him, but it was directed to those who knew that they have need. So this view is contrary to the teachings of the Bible. Now, the next view is the Wesleyan view, which has been sanctification is a process of improvement which may be completed in Christendom while we are here upon the earth. And in other words, it has been uh, thought possibly among the large branch of professing Christians to reach a stage where we should say that we are completely sanctified and sinless. But that branches of Christianity in which some, you know, genuine Christianity in the sense of salvation by grace is proclaimed, that this segment of Christianity, there is the view that it is possible for us to reach a stage where we do not sin and that we are completely, wholly sanctified. However, we see that this is a problem. We see that Scripture does not show us this. It's opposition to Scripture. It opposes it. The Apostle John, for example, in John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Look at verse 10. It states, If we say we have not sinned, we make him out a liar, and his word is not in us. So it's very clear. Let's look at the reformed view, which would be that to believe that sanctification is a process of improvement which is completed only at the point of death. So sanctification is a bigger doctrine than the improvement that is wrought and saved after one becomes a believer in Christ. During that time that one is a believer on the earth until he enters into the presence of the Lord. There should be sanctification of progressive growth. In fact, if there is not progressive growth, we have no assurance that we really belong to the Lord. So we cannot say to a person who does not manifest a definite change in their life and who does not manifest a definite evidence of growth 
we cannot say to him that you have hope of eternal life. If possible, we may confuse and be confused about where he stands so far as to his will and, and will situation is concerned. But we have no right in the Bible to assure uh, any man outwardly who is showing no progress if we say that they have not sinned. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. And if one does not belong to the Lord, there should be uh, evidence or proof of it if that you are of the Lord and in the Lord and he's working in your life. That when we have said that sanctification is the doctrine that has to do with our growth in Christian life, and when we say that only we do not say everything that the Bible uh, has to say about in sanctification, but walk this life as well. Let's look at what the Pauline, uh, uh, the Paul's epistle, the epistles to the, to the different churches has to say about the subject and the view from the New Testament perspective, which is broader than any of these views. It's broader than the Roman Catholic view, the Pentecostal or the Wesleyan view. It is broader than the Reformed view. In the New Testament, there is sanctification spoken of, and we see this just from its meanings of the words, the Hebrew uh, word for sanctification. The root of the Hebrew word is the root of the word sanctify. In the Old Testament is a Hebrew word which transliterated is or would be pronounced kadesh or kavesh. And this is transliterated as of that looks like kavesh. Now, forgive me for all that, but what I'm trying to show you is the root meaning of the verb Kadesh or Kavesh is to be separated. It has the idea of separation or occasional, occasionally an idea of withdrawal. But the idea of separation is the fundamental concept of this word, which is translated holy or sanctified. So the English word sanctify and the English word for holy and their words relating to them are words that come from the same Hebrew word and the same Greek word. So when we read in the Old Testament about holiness or when we read sanctification, we are not reading about two different words. We are reading about the same word which is translated in two different ways. Now, when we read in the New Testament about saints and about holy ones, or sanctification and holiness, we are talking about the same word, not different words. The word in the Old Testament, kavesh, which means to be holy or to be sanctified, to be separated has the root idea of separation or to be set apart. See, the biblical concept of sanctification fundamentally, it means to be set apart for use. Now, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, something may be set apart for an evil use just as much as it may be set apart for a good use. Now, if God sets something apart for his use, it is a good use, since the Bible ordinarily speaks about God doing the separating. Sanctification came 
to suggest the idea of holiness or righteousness or goodness. It had a good connotation, but the word in itself is, a new, is neutral. It may refer to that which is set apart for evil use, just as much as it, as it uh, that which is set apart for good use. So a good place to start is in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 17. If you would turn your Bibles there and have a look. None of the daughters of Israel shall be cult prostitute, and none of the sons of Israel shall be a cult prostitute. Now you may be wondering, what's this got to do with sanctification? Well, now the interesting thing about this text here proves that the word that is translated as a, as a whore or a harlot is a word which in Hebrew is this. Now you can see that it comes from the word here and it is a feminine for Kadesha. So thus the word is harlot is the word to set apart a sanctified one. Uh, this now really be translated in verse 17. There shall be no females set apart for the daughters of Israel, set apart for this unholy use. So in ancient times, the connection with the worship of heathen religions frequently had prostitutes of both male and female sex attached to temples. And individuals who wished to carry out the evil worship of false gods used the prostitution and sexual intercourse in order to worship God. Now they were so vile in their worship that they actually, that their doctrine made it possible and necessary for them to engage in illicit sexual intercourse in order to worship their gods. Now the Greek temples, uh, which we have, uh, you know, we will see and related to the New Testament times, had the same thing. In fact, in the temple at Corinth, at one time, something like a thousand prostitutes attached to one temple for the use of worship was a particular religion. And it shows you the vileness of the religion, but it also shows you the meaning of sanctify. Now, the word translated sodomite here is the word which is the masculine form of this and you can see it very clearly uh, relating to this. So that the word for sodomite and the word for used for harlot or whore is really a word that means sanctified one. So the term sanctified in itself does not have any sort of special moral connotations. It merely simply to be used as set apart or separated. So this is also true of the New Testament. The Greek word used to translate hagaizo to be also set apart. Hagaias is, is a saint. So when you read in the Bible, in the letter to the Ephesians, uh, was addressed to the saints, which are emphasizing it to be hagaiamos, the uh, the saints set apart ones. So if you are a Christian, that's what you are. You are a saint. 
you have not been made a saint by the church through canonization. You have been made a saint by faith in Christ Jesus. And that's the beauty of it. It means that when we have believed in Jesus Christ, we have been, uh, by God, set apart for his possession, for his use, so that we are set apart once. So the idea of moral holiness, which attaches to the word sanctification, is not a fundamental idea of that, that word root in the Old Testament or the New Testament. The fundamental idea is that the idea of separation. But it is set apart for divine use because God is intrinsically holy. And then that word gains the connotation of holiness in the moral sense. And that's it. It's ordinary sense in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Holiness means set apart for divine use. And therefore the moral holiness is involved. And so when we think about sanctification, we are thinking about something that is a doctrine uh, that is set apart for divine use. So remember, just as in justification is a forensic, forensic word, it is a word that has to do with the courts. We appear before the court of the throne of heaven and there we are declared righteous by the judge who is our God. Sanctification is a word uh, of a ceremonial world. It is a ceremonial word, not a legal word. And it has to do with the worship of God in the temple. So when you think about sanctification, you should be thinking about the temple of God. And when you think about justification, you should be thinking about the law courts of God. So just as justification declares us righteous before the law courts of God, so that we have righteousness, a position before him, so sanctification declares us worthy to approach God in the temple and to worship him. So there are words that are in some aspects of biblical truth refer to precisely same thing under different kinds of metaphor. And yet they have some differences also. Now, to define sanctification would be that which is work of God, whereby uh, he, by the Holy Spirit, through the cross, sets us apart, the believer, for divine possession, worship, and service. And let's look at now, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 14. But we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved of the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and believe in the truth. To this he called you through the gospel so that you may obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice that the setting apart work of the Holy Spirit occurs before the work of the, of the truth. So this is a work of the Holy Spirit which has to do with the setting apart of us for faith in Christ. It is a work that occurs before we believe in Jesus Christ. So it is 
possible for us to say that we have been sanctified before we've been saved. If we are talking about the primary preparatory sanctification, it is the equivalent of efficacious grace. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing us to Christ. Now, that is evident in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, not only from this text, but also in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. So according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So from this, you can see that the sanctification is with a view to the faith that, or that's obedience unto faith and strengthening of the blood of Christ, so that setting apart works or work for the Holy Spirit is with a view to obedience, that with the view to the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, so that this is the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Now notice, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, the work of the Holy Spirit who efficaciously sets us apart for faith in Jesus Christ. He says this pertains to those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they are sanctified before they are saved. Now this is primarily or a preparatory sanctification. There are only two places, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 to 14, and 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, where the word sanctification is used in its precise meaning. The third is from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. Now, what does this mean? Well, it does mean that he is saved, but when a woman is saved, a husband, and he is not, he is in a special relationship as a result of that. And that the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else, were your children unclean, uh, but now they, they are here in the word made holy. But in the Greek text, it's the word sanctified. Are sanctified is what mentioned here. Now, what he's saying is that the children of the parents of whom one is a believer are set apart. They are not saved. They are, they are sanctified. They have a, to be saved just like anyone else. But they have a special relationship because one of their parents is a Christian. And so that kind of sanctification, this pre-salvation sanctification too. But it's not precisely what we're talking about because it's not a guarantee. And that they will come to salvation as well. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 1 and 2, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, 
together with all those in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Now, saints and sanctified again are the same term. Holy is the same, but notice this epistle is addressed to the church at Corinth, and they are called sanctified. Notice the past tense, sanctified in Christ Jesus. Paul says that the Corinthians have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. That would tell us uh, that there was a time in which when they were sanctified. And when was that is the question. Of course, it was when they believed in Jesus Christ. Then they were sanctified in this sense. Of course, they had to be recipients of the preparatory uh, sanctification too. But the primary stress of the New Testament is on the other aspects. And so the sanctification year is a reference to the act in the past. Now, we can say that uh, that's the finished work. In other words, uh, their work of sanctification is finished. It's finished work. But now, were the Corinthians holy in any moral sense? Were they? Well, think about it. The epistle of, uh, uh, to the church at Corinth. Does it tell us about a church that was perfect? No. Just the opposite, doesn't it? It tells us about a church in which there was a lot of problems. That was a New Testament church, by the way. And it was founded by Apostle Paul. Now, these churches weren't perfect, far from it. The, the church of the first century were just as ordinary as any church today. And the early church, we think, would have had churches that were basking in the pristine glory of the apostles, but not at all. Paul says in his third chapter here, And I, brethren, were not able to write to you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. And not even yet now I am able. For whereas they among you envying and strife, are you not carnal and walk as men? It was carnality. It was carnal church. They were in sin, many of them. And yet, he said, they were sanctified. Now, what does that tell us? Well, that tells us that the Bible may call us sanctified when at the same time our practical life is not a holy one. It's not holy life in the sense. Well, it is what in it is in the sense that we can be sanctified. Now, what does that tell us? Well, that tells us that the Bible may call us sanctified when at the same time our practical life is not holy life in this sense. Well, in what sense can we be sanctified and yet at the same time not morally holy? Only in a positional sense, is it not? That is, this is our standing before God. 
So this is our position. This is not our practice. It's not our state. But it's how we stand before God. We stand before God. As if we were 100% holy, but practically we may be in carnality. So we can be called sanctified in the sense that this is a finished work and a positional work. So while at the same time, we may be called carnal. Now that shows us that there is then a second aspect of sanctification, a positional aspect, which is true of every believer in Christ Jesus. So why may God call us holy when we are not? And how can he do that? And someone may say, I don't see how God can do that. And how, I don't see how he can call us holy. And when we are not holy at, the, at all, how can he do that? Well, of course, he can do uh, that because he is looking at us in Christ. That's the only way in which he can call us justified. Because we're not just. Just as if we haven't sinned is in Christ. But you see here, it has been a transaction between the members of the Trinity, which took place at the cross of Calvary, by which God is now righteously able to call us just and righteously able to call us holy because he had a representative one, uh, one day who would come to the earth. His name was Jesus Christ. He was the representative man. He stood for you and for me. And he went to the cross. And there he bore our judgment. He bore our sins. And he righteously made it. The word is possible for God because of our sins were bore. He bore by him to declare us forgiven, to declare us cleansed, to declare us justified, to declare us sanctified. So we are holy because our unholiness has been taken away in sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And this is the way we stand traditionally before God. That's why we are called saints. That's why we are called righteous in the New Testament. Now you can see from this that there is a sense into which we are positionally holy. Now the word sanctification not only refers to the preparatory work of the Holy Spirit in bringing us to true faith in Christ, not only does it refer to the fact that we stand before God uh, and the moment that we believe in him positionally, 100% holy before God, but it also is used to refer to the progress that we made in the Christian faith. It is used to refer to our growing maturity. That is sanctification. And that it is a process that is going on in our hearts and of all the redeemed, if it is not going on and it's not part of the redeemed, but this is the progressive sanctification. And, and let's take a look at the text, which makes it very plain that the Bible speaks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. 
since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord, of God. Now, you can see he has already referred to these Corinthians in the first epistle as already holy. He says they are holy ones, the saints, and he has said that they are sanctified. But now he says perfect holiness in the fear of God. How can he be perfect, that which is perfect? Well, you cannot. So he must be talking about a different aspect of sanctification. And here is what he's talking about, is the state of our standing. Here is he talking about our practice, not our position. Here is he talking about our life as we really are, not as we are in the mind and the imputation of, imputation of God, reckoning of God. So there is a sense then in which we have a progressive sanctification, an increasing holiness of life. Now we know that no one shall ever enter the presence of God who is not 100% holy. In fact, the writer of the Hebrews states that without holiness, no one shall see God. So 100% holiness is required. Now, when we come to faith in Christ, when we come by activities of the Holy Spirit, who sets us apart from faith and the moment we believe, at that moment, we may be called sanctified. Now, we are positionally holy, but we are not practically holy. So now, you may be a lovely person. According to the world, you may be uh, tremendously influential according to the world. And you may have great capacity according to this world. But he should never be put in any place of responsibility if that person is an infant in Christ, in the body of Christ. Never. Now it's fine for an infant to get up and give a testimony of, and say how he has come to life in Christ. We are not only sanctified positionally, but we are being sanctified practically. And the old nature is removed, eradicated. And not until then, then prospective sanctification takes place. Sanctification is primary of the Spirit in bringing us to faith in Christ. Sanctification is positional in the moment we believe in Jesus Christ. Before God, we are reckoned to be 100% holy. And sanctification is progressive. That has to do with something of our own growth in maturity, in holiness, while we here in the earth. And sanctification is prospective in that the time of our standard and our state are the same. And that does not happen until we meet the Lord in the air, until we pass into his presence. So sanctification, as you can see, is in many respects similar to justification. It is a work before us. It is a work in us. It is a work on us. 
It is a past work. It is a present work. It is a future work. It is by the Spirit of God. It is by the Word of God. It is by the present uh, day. And it is by the presence of Jesus Christ in the future. And you will see that aside from the first stage of preparatory salvation, we really have reference here to the three aspects of the work of Christ and particularly reference to the work of sanctification. So look with me at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24 to 26. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything in, to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, in the same way the husband should love his wife as their own bodies. And look how amazing it mentions that. For no one ever hates, hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, that is the basis of our positional sanctification, our Lord's work on the cross that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Look at that picture. Now, this progress in sanctification is sanctification that is carried out through the word of God. This is by the spirit of God. This is by the blood of Jesus Christ. His saving work. This is by, on the basis of his saving work, but it is by the word of God. This is accomplished by the presence of Jesus Christ. But here, progressive sanctification by the word of God, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That's why it's so important that we read and believe and live out the word. It, is, it means that of our daily walk with the Lord, there needs to be a daily cleansing into which we are washing ourselves as one takes a shower every morning to study the word because it's in the word, in the cleansing word that God works through his word. So what then are our responsibilities? Well, our responsibilities as far as positional sanctification is concerned, is to believe in Jesus Christ. Our responsibility, as far as progressive sanctification is concerned, is to study the Word of God. Our responsibility, as far as prospective sanctification is concerned, is to look for the Son from heaven. Even that is sanctifying activity, as John tells us in his epistle. Sanctification has to do with holiness. It has to do with a set-apart condition before God and position before God. 
And as we should also remember that those whom the word of God calls saints positionally have a responsibility to live saintly.